distro hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. My name is Tony. I live in the northwest of England. I'm Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. And I'm Josh. I live in northeast Pennsylvania. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest. We love checking distros out. New distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity or desktop or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro or better understand one that has piqued your curiosity. The idea of this podcast is that we will each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as a daily driver. We record all our trials, tribulations, fixes, and what we liked and what we didn't. Tony and I tend to prefer looking at distros that would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system such as Windows or Mac OS. Well, I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go. And I'm more of a Linux gamer and sysadmin ninja. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we'll also divulge what hardware we are using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 34, recorded on July 13th, 2022. For this show, we decided to review Xubuntu 22.04, Open Mandriva Rolling LXQT, and Ubuntu 22.04 GNOME. Sadly, Tony is out sick today. We look forward to his return. <music> Monthly foibles, wherein we discuss what we did this month. I got all signed up to try my hand as a substitute teacher for another term. I have no idea whether I have the energy to deal with kids all day, two or three days a week, and still have the energy and other tools to continue my three podcasts, but we are simply spending money too fast and need to increase our income and thereby our savings. We have also changed our plans as to where we might move, which means nothing until we have the money to use as a down payment and the time to go look. As such, we are considering going to a convention in November, which we had earlier decided not to go to, because it would get us in the area we're starting to look at. I also have had the misfortune of literally losing my teeth. My upper plate fell out at an eating establishment, and I smoothly wrapped them and put them in my pocket. At some point, they apparently fell out of my pocket, and I didn't notice till about a day and a half later. At the moment, I have not replaced them, which explains why I am talking funny today. My friend Joe is working on my backup set, which were too large for my mouth and should return them to me shortly, and I need to contact the dentist to make a new plate. What's going on with you, Dale? I was home for my regular time off, plus one of my uh, two weeks of my earned vacation. Sadly, it was not a vacation, as I was moving to a new apartment. One benefit of moving is you get to sort through everything you have and decide if you really need it or not. Now that I am home, I will be able to continue that phase of keeping it or getting rid of it. I already had five trips to Goodwill, which is a donation center here in the States. This was even before I even moved. I'm looking forward to having a room just for my computers. Because I am currently single and a computer geek, I did have some priorities. I connected my cable modem and activated the service. Then I temporarily connected my router switch and access point so that I could at least have Wi-Fi. After sorting through the boxes and totes, 
I will permanently set up my networking computers. Then I'll finally go through my kitchen stuff and find a place for my microwave. Eating is obviously a requirement, though it doesn't require my kitchen. I've never really been a fan of cooking. How about you, Josh? Well, I uh, I got a job, and uh, I'm moving. Yippee! <sighs> Except not yippee, because moving sucks. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we cannot move into our new apartment until August 13th, but I start my job on July 18th. So there's a whole month there that I need to find a place to live, which I have, so that's good. I'm kind of couch surfing between two places, and that'll be okay. Yeah, that's going to be until the place gets ready. It's going to be a little little bit crazy. I'll be coming home on the weekends uh, back here, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a little, little crazy. Uh, as far as uh, my tech life has gone, I haven't really done a whole lot because I've been so busy. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's unfortunately about it. <laughs> I have a question, Dale. Why do you have a separate router and modem? That's just how I've always done it because back before we had gateways, you got a modem and it was up to you to buy the router because back in the, at least in my area of Ohio, I believe is one of the cities was one of the test cities for the cable modem system. I think the other one was similar in Virginia, but originally it was one computer, one modem. There was this. There was no idea of running multiple devices on your cable modem, and Wi-Fi wasn't very heard of. It was mostly in businesses and stuff. It wasn't really something you had at home. And I guess it's just an old habit. Well, I was just wondering because my last router was actually gotten for me and it was a router and modem combination. And I thought that was just the way everything was. And every time I hear someone else talk about connecting their stuff up, they've got two devices. I use two devices also. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. It's like a networking geek type of thing. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I have more control. <laughs> and and it also, you have more blinky lights. More blinky lights. I have got plenty of blinky lights <laughs> on my router modem. <laughs> Plus, I have an additional router at the midpoint so that I can, because uh, the cable comes in uh, on the wall between the kitchen and the living room, and then I run cable all the way to my middle bedroom for what I'm using right now and also to my TV and so I've got a router on the wall that the TV is on and then feed a cable from there to the second bedroom so I still have the extra blinky lights of a router it's just not where the modem is okay (laughs) we have wasted enough time thank you (laughs) me Updates, where we discuss what we have learned about distros we've already reviewed. Well, we all know that Mint 21 is about to drop. The betas went out on Monday after a couple days of issues. I know I'll be upgrading everything I have, including my TV machine. And Sparky Linux just dropped a new version as well. Dale? Well, I'm sorry, but I did not have a chance to look for updates. I've been busy unpacking and organizing. And you would laugh if you saw the makeshift setup I have just to record this episode. 
on my coffee table. <laughs> and Josh. I'm in the same boat, and I bet we could have a competition, and I would win with the makeshift uh, setup I got going on. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> Many of y'all have seen my setup, so I'm not entering that competition. It's haphazard enough that it's not looking like I'm moving this second. Beautiful failures, what we tried and failed to install or run this month. Amazingly, I've had no failures this month. I've installed three distros and they all worked. And the other guys have already told me they've got nothing to report, so let's move on to the reviews. Amazingly, I put myself at the top this time, so I guess I will pause for show music and then go. Okay, I'm reviewing Open Mandriva rolling LXQT Alpha. Open Mandriva is arguably the most beautiful distro remaining in the Mandrake Linux family of distros. I've mentioned it many times on this program, but this time they're releasing both with a non-plasma desktop, but also in a rolling ISO. This distro is based on Open Mandriva LX 4.3 rolling plasma, which to date does not have its own ISO. You have to create it from a normal rock installation and follow a set of steps. This is the first time they've made an ISO of their rolling version. I just had to give it a shot. My hardware. I installed this on my Lenovo ThinkPad T540P with a 6th generation i7, 16 gigabytes of RAM, and two SSDs on it with both Intel and Nvidia graphics. I installed on an SDA1 and gave it the full drive. Installation ease and issues. I was simply amazed. The installer was Calamara, so it was as simple as ever, and five minutes later I was watching it copy files and install them. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. When you boot up, you have a little white and red screen informing you that the screensaver is an extremely old version. There is no way to update this that I found. More on that later. The next issue was that I could not update anything. The DNF upgrade command went nowhere. And Discover said I didn't have an internet connection, which I clearly did. After asking on the Open Mandriva forum, where the leader and top dev Ben Ballard is always helpful, I learned that I needed a new command for upgrading. sudo dnf clean all semicolon sudo dnf desync. Worked like a charm. I got all my various things installed, except for Pysol FC and NetHack, which also do not install in all previous versions of Open Mandriva I have tried. When you're done, you have a beautiful, quick, easy-to-use, and lightweight distro, which is also rolling. Open Mandriva has a different view of rolling than most. When an app update has cleared their cooker crew, then it gets rolled out. No breakage, no fuss. LXQT looks and works fine. I am still, however, bothered by the nag screen, which nags you about needing to close open files or lose data when you're shutting down or rebooting. If you haven't saved your files, you should, but the system should be aware of what's open and what isn't, which would make this nag irrelevant. Ease of use. Other than the new update command, this distro is as easy to use as any RPM distro out there and twice as lovely. You will never want to change your boot menu again, even if you multi-boot. Or so it seemed. It turns out there was a reason this was labeled alpha. Ben Ballard tells me that he is dismayed at the response from the LXQT team on bugs which have been found and reported, including the fact you can't even send a message on the Open Mandriva forum from this distro, the screensaver is badly out of date, and you can't even turn off the touchpad. For me, that's a big thing. <laughs> Memory and disk use. 
I've got 8.2 gigabytes of space used on the SSD. I'm using 492 megabytes of memory, reported by free-hm. Ease of finding help. Open Mandriva has the friendliest forum I've found anywhere. Ben Ballard and his crew are very much into this distro, and I doubt if many of them ever use anything else. Play is nice with others, yes, and with a beautiful boot screen besides. I keep saying that. You have no idea how lovely your computer can look until you've tried to open Mandriva. Stability. It's not ready. It looks like it is, but it simply isn't. Similar distros to check out. Open Mandriva Plasma, Magia, Rosa, and PC Linux OS. Ease of installation. New user 9 out of 10. Experienced user 10 out of 10. Hardware issues 8 out of 10. Ease of finding help 10 out of 10. Ease of use 6 out of 10. Play is nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 6 out of 10. And because of the problems, I'm downrating this overall to 6 out of 10. Final comments, I was all ready to write a glowing report, but there are just too many bugs. I shouldn't be surprised it was, after all, labeled an alpha, but it's basically a different but mature desktop grafted onto a mature distro, so it shouldn't have happened. Ben Ballard and his crew are working hard on fixes. For now, you should load Open Mandriva LX 4.3 Plasma, or look elsewhere. Let's move on to Dale's review. Well, as Moss mentioned, I have Zubuntu 22.04. XFCE has been one of my favorite desktop environments. It dates back to 1996 using the XForms toolkit, a proprietary toolkit. In 1999, it was rebased onto GTK, and many of the distros at that time welcomed it into their repos due to uh, it no longer being proprietary. XFC originally was a Linux version of CDE, which stands for Common Desktop Environment, based on the Motif Toolkit, which was popular amongst the uh, Unix variant operating systems. Current XFCE is its own independent desktop environment and shares no code or any familiarity with uh, the original CDE. Unless you get a very vanilla looking XFCE, then yeah, it could look like a CDE. Zubuntu is one of the original distributions from Canonical. It started out as a meta package that could be installed on Ubuntu proper allowing you to replace GNOME as your desktop environment. Starting with Ubuntu 6.06, codenamed Dapper Drake, in 2006, Zubuntu was created. It is a community-maintained derivative of Ubuntu. My hardware. The laptop I used is my Lenovo ThinkPad T460. It has an Intel Ducore i5-6200U, 2.8 gigahertz CPU, 14-inch LCD display, using Intel HD Graphics 520. I have 16 gigs of RAM installed and a 500 gigabyte SSD, which I believe is one of my old Samsung 850s, maybe an 860, I can't remember. Installation ease and issues. I verified the ISO's MD5SUM and wrote it to my USB stick using Popsicle, a GUI USB writing utility. 
The boot splash screen before the installation opened used an image similar to the XFCE logo and is used throughout the installation. After the language, keyboard, and Wi-Fi questions, the next screen is updates and other software. I was asked, what apps would you like to install to start with? Normal install includes web browser, utilities, office, games, and media players. Minimal install is the web browser and basic utilities. I selected the normal install. The other option was downloading updates while installing Zubuntu, which is automatically checked. Install third-party software for graphics, Wi-Fi, and media formats was unchecked by default. I chose not to download updates because I wanted to see if I was prompted to install updates later. When I came to the partitioning screen, I chose to replace my previous Ubuntu Bungie installation instead of manual partitioning. It did quite well with no issues. I was actually very pleasantly surprised. It was basically click, click, one and done. Location was next along with the user account creation. After that, the installation was complete. I was prompted to restart the computer by clicking on the Restart Now button. I was not prompted to remove the installation uh, USB stick. I had a black screen with a blinking cursor in the upper left-hand corner of the screen. I waited five minutes with no activity, so I eventually pressed the Enter key. I, I, I don't know why, I just always would... Just press the inner key whenever a computer does that. Either that or the caps lock. Then it did a normal shutdown and reboot. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. On the first boot, I had the same window pop-up that I had on the Ubuntu Bungie, informing me that I had incomplete language support. This time I chose to install them right then. I was able to get details on what was being installed. They were dictionary files for various applications like Mozilla Thunderbird and LibreOffice. When I was typing in my password, the Thunar file manager opened for some reason. After the language support was installed, I was prompted to select my preferred language. There was also an option to apply my choice system-wide, and I did so. Ease of use. Since I opted out of not installing updates during the installation, I wanted to see if I would be notified of updates, since Ubuntu Budgie didn't until I turned on the notifications. After 15 or 20 minutes, I was notified that there was an update available. After the updates were installed, I was prompted to reboot now or later. There was a button to click on Open the Update Settings available from the Update Notification window. I thought that was a nice feature to have. Don't have to go searching for it. I am not going to rant this time about snaps, but I do need to mention that the Firefox snap opened in 17 seconds. That is 5 seconds slower than it was on Ubuntu Budgie. I experienced the same behavior with the Firefox snap as I did on Ubuntu Budgie. That shows that it is something specific in the Ubuntu base, though it doesn't explain why it is slower. I do want to add that uh, after I wrote this, I did see, I can't remember if it was Pharonix or OMG Ubuntu, that the Canonical developers have reduced the startup time 
by 50%. So that is a good sign that they actually are getting a, a, a handle on this problem. So moving on. I have been getting regular notifications of updates while using Zubuntu without needing to turn on the notifications as I did on Ubuntu Bungie. There have been some updates where I have been asked to reboot the computer. I was given the choice to restart now or later. I noticed that Zubuntu uses the super key plus T and super key plus F to open terminal windows and the file manager, T for terminal, F for file manager. Those are the same shortcuts that I use on Pop! OS. Which is a change for Ubuntu. They used to use Control-Alt-T and Control-Alt-F all across the Ubuntu ecosystem. Yeah, because my laptop, my uh, Pangolin, still has Pop! OS on it, and I'm just used to doing that, so I actually put it on my desktop as well. So it's kind of a shock to me when I just out of habit, did Super T, and the terminal opened up, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> surprise, surprise. The Greybird theme, which is the default, is pretty nice, but I changed it to Greybird-Dark. I think it had a better uniform dark theme. Using Greybird, the uh, whisker menu, when you opened it, was too bright in contrast to the dark menu. Now, this is obviously a, a personal preference, but when you click on the whisker and all of a sudden you get a whole white outline of a dark menu, I guess you could also uh, chalk that up to a OCD on my part. Flatpak is not installed by default, but this can easily be fixed by typing sudo apt install flatpak in the terminal. I also installed the plugin for GNOME software so that I could install flat packs from the GNOME software GUI. The command for that was sudo apt install gnome-software-plugin-flatpak. I opened GNOME software and waited about a minute or so for it to update. Once finished, I could select my source in the upper right to choose the, uh, the flat pack if I wanted or if it was available. And if you go into your favorite search engine and type in your distro and Flatpak, it'll come up to the Flathub. But if not, if you go to their site, they have instructions for at least a dozen different distros and what to type in to add Flatpak to your distro if you have a distro that doesn't have it installed by default. Or it also have tips like installing the plugin for GNOME software, because I believe there's also a plugin for Discover as well. But I haven't had a Plasma desktop in years <laughs> to test that. Overall, this has been a very enjoyable distro to use. Memory and disk use. It was 15 gigabytes of space on the SSD, and 515 megabytes of memory use reported by the free-hm command. I'm actually surprised at that because I didn't get 15 gigs of space on my SSD, which is weird because Zubuntu, you'd think, would be the lighter of the two, but that's so weird. <laughs> yeah, from what I've been hearing from people, like people that use MX and some other uh, distros that are using uh, XFCE, it seems to be not as light anymore because... I remember back in the day, you get like a very vanilla XFCE. You ended up spending 15, 20 minutes 
or longer installing a bunch of packages that weren't installed by default. Because I can remember, and you have to remember, I've been using Linux for, since 95, 96. And you had to build everything from scratch pretty much. It was, it was, it was sort of like the arch mentality of mm-hmm. you configure it. People complain about how hard Arch is to install. You go back 25 years, that was a hard install. <laughs> Slackware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that is being installed in XFC that never was installed before that right. was sort of optional because a lot of applet indicators and like X screensaver was never installed. Got I remember that was never um, installed by default. So yeah, yeah. I was just I was just curious. It just seems so weird. <laughs> oh yeah. Now for memory usage, that's a whole another ball game. <laughs> it's the opposite. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. That, that's not bad. Five fifteen. It's not. No, like, that's good. Yeah. It's not. It's not like some of the gnome or some of the plasma ones where you're bordering on six seven hundred megabytes. Right. Well, GNOME, you're bordering on 1,100 megabytes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, d- depending on uh, on your distro. Yeah, it's it's no doubt you can be upward to 1,200 even, if depending on the uh, plugins you put in there, the extensions. Ease of finding help. Well, I didn't seek out any help, but seeing that this is an official Ubuntu flavor, there are many forums to use in addition to Ubuntu's own forums. Yeah, if you can't find help for Ubuntu, you're not using your uh, browser right. Yeah, because there's Discord, there's Telegram. What's a browser? (laughs) It's the internet. Oh. Johnny, go stand in the corner. (laughs) The internet (laughs) is installed on your computer. (laughs) Oh, that reminds me of my days in IT. When the internet was still... They made you go stand in the corner? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I remember a help desk ticket where the lady says, somebody uninstalled the internet on my computer. <laughs> they accidentally deleted Internet Explorer. The big, yeah, the big E is gone. <laughs> yeah, the big E. Oh, those were the days. Use Netscape. Yeah. Yeah, don't get me started with the AOL software. Uh, oh, we have a better modem driver for you. Not. <laughs> In any case, um, plays nice with others. The automatic partitioning replacing the previous Ubuntu installation worked flawlessly. I cannot underscore that enough. I thought I'm not going to do it manually. I'm going. I want it to do it for me. I just went in there, chose the uh, partition I wanted. Click next. It says, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, yeah. And on reboot, it worked. The uh, only issue I have is canonical not using a better name in the grub entries. I mean, yeah, Ubuntu. Yeah, no matter what you install, it says it's Ubuntu. It's Ubuntu. Just Ubuntu. It'll give you the version number, but it won't give you uh, your desktop or anything else. Yeah, so stability. I didn't have any issues. And to quote Tony Hughes, it's Ubuntu. It's stable. End quote. (laughs) Take it to the bank. (laughs) Similar distros to check out. Well, you have uh, MX Linux, 
and mint XFCE if you want to stay with um, XFCE. And another good one that's still in the uh, GTK family is Ubuntu Mate. If you remember the old uh, GNOME 2 interface, you'll be uh, right at home. It's a very well-maintained uh, uh, distro, keeping that, uh, that heritage alive. So we go on to my ratings. Now this still is going to have some caveats because everybody has their own uh, experience levels. But I would say overall, a New Year's Year is going to be eight, maybe seven, because partitioning is still hard. It's something that you're not really familiar with, even coming from macro windows. So an experienced user, it's going to be one and done, 10 out of 10. Hardware issues, it's 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help, community web. I mean, you can't swing, you know, a shower towel around without hitting help. Doing a little helicopter dance there. So 10 out of 10. Nice job keeping it clean. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ease of use, 8 out of 10. Plays nice with others. 10 out of 10, bravo. Good job, uh, Canonical. And stability, 10 out of 10. And my overall rating is going to be 8 out of 10. So for my final comments, as I mentioned in my ease of use section, this has been a pleasant experience. This is despite the fact that I am an old XFCE user. Ubuntu seems more polished compared to the Ubuntu Budgie. I didn't have as many pop-up windows as I did with Ubuntu Budgie. And the update thing and the language still puzzles me why an English-based distro does not have English installed, but I digress. Now on to a review from Josh. So take it away. So I uh, I reviewed Ubuntu uh, 2204 with the uh, GNOME, the uh, the original Ubuntu, <laughs> I guess you could say. So Ubuntu has gotten a bad rap over the last five years, maybe even longer than that, but at least the last five years, it's it's just kind of it seems like it's been declining, especially in people's in the community's eyes, I should say. This release really got some people steamed. Between the Firefox snap taking, in some cases, I've heard 45 seconds to start, or systemd, OOMD, killing every high RAM usage application, 2204 has taken some hits. Ubuntu is just not uh, what it used to be, and Canonical keeps messing up. To elaborate a little more on the whole issue with the snap thing, especially Firefox, for some reason, I don't know why, but everyone's been having this issue and as dale said before they seem to have gotten it down the start time by 50 percent. so whoever you know has 45 seconds you can cut that in half and that's what it should start in but that's still too much in my experience for an application to start up that being said i i have not seen that with any of my systems now i didn't test ubuntu thoroughly on my uh, HP stream with a dual core, I think it's 1.1 gigahertz, but I did have it installed while Firefox was a snap and it didn't take long enough for me to 
question anything. So, and this was when 2204 first came out, when I installed it on there. Um, I don't know why I did. It wasn't for this show, but I, I did install it on there. And yeah, it, it seemed, it was definitely not 45 seconds. It was nothing even close to that. It may have been 10 seconds, maybe. That would be a lot, because I, I didn't notice. And as far as the other issue, the system D-O-O-M-D, um, killing, like, let's say Firefox or Chrome, because it was using so much um, RAM. Basically, that what that application does is it tries to kill high RAM usage user space applications so that, you know, obviously your system doesn't freeze and crash. And it's been really aggressive, 2204, and it's been killing a lot of applications that people don't want it to kill. And I'm sure they'd rather, you know, have their system be stable than it kill the application. But at the same time, you don't want your one application you're using to be killed when that's all you're using your computer for because that's basically like having it freeze and crash <laughs> in general. So, yeah, uh, I didn't have that issue either. Do you think that might be an Intel issue? You're, I notice you're, you haven't gotten to my hardware yet, but you're using a Ryzen. You know, I'm not 100% on that. And the only reason I say that is because I've heard many people talk about this now. And it's been on Ryzen, it's been on Intel, or AMD, it's been on Intel. I just don't know why I'm not having the issue. Maybe I'm not using as much RAM, like uh, I'm not taxing the system. I do have 16 gigabytes of RAM on my laptop, or sorry, my desktop that I was testing this on. So maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe these people that have been having this issue are like on four or eight gigs. But I'm not sure because I just haven't had the issue. So noting that there are these issues, they are widely reported, yeah. and that Josh did not run into any of them, uh, his review is going to be based on the fact that he has not run into any of them. Right, exactly. Go for it. It, it also could be the people that have like 115 tabs open. Yeah, that's the other thing. I don't typically have that many. Like The most tabs I'll have open is probably about 2025, and that's a lot for me. <laughs> that's like my school research paper. <laughs> with that many tabs open. I uh, I try to keep my tabs uh, tidy. <laughs> so that definitely could be, be the issue. So anyway, that all being said, my hardware, which I will specify here, is I have a Ryzen 5800X CPU. I have 16 gigabytes of 3200 megahertz DDR4 RAM. I have a 256 gigabyte silicon power SSD which is now my only hard drive in that desktop because I haven't gotten extra um, hard drives to add to it. My graphics card is an NVIDIA 1650 Super. The Super makes it better. <laughs> so installation, ease, and issues. As in my last review, it's Ubuntu, so installation is super simple for anyone. Just using the standard auto-install method, I used the standard auto-install method this time. I did try some fancier install methods, such as ButterFS on root and ZFS on root, and both ways work flawlessly. Seriously, if an Ubuntu install does not work, it's usually the USB either failing or not being written correctly when you create the USB. And for my actual review, I did just do the regular, you know, click, 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 next, next, next install. So it's um, ext4. Uh, but I, like I said, I did try ButterFS and ZFS intermittently just a couple of different times just to see how the install went. That went well. Nothing wrong with either of those methods that I could see. 
but I ultimately decided to just do the ext4, the regular, you know, auto install method. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. Uh, I really had no issues with Ubuntu on my uh, hardware. My graphics drivers installed properly and games played well. Uh, I didn't even notice any slowdown with the Firefox. Uh, with Firefox, obviously, I mentioned that before. Uh, most likely due to my CPU being as strong as it is, and I say that now, but now I realize I've mentioned before about my other laptop that only had two cores, so that's probably not why. I don't know. Maybe it's the SSD. I don't know. I also didn't have the systemd OMD issue, obviously, as I said before. Yeah, I didn't really have any issues at all. It, this, it was Ubuntu, just like I usually know it. So ease of use, uh, Ubuntu is extremely easy to use. Other than Linux Mint, it's probably the easiest distro to use. I'd probably say it's a little harder to use even than KDE versions of Ubuntu, just because it's not familiar to a Windows user. Now, if you're a Mac user, it's a little more familiar, I think, because it kind of, sort of, kind of, <laughs> a little bit looks like Mac. I know I might get fired for that, but it kind of does. You're fired. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so. You're rehired. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's just, it's extremely easy to use for either or, because, you know, it's just icons. You just click on the icons, you install the stuff. So memory and disk use. My disk usage was 10.2 gigabytes of space on my SSD, and my memory usage was 1,150 megabytes, reported by Free-HM. And I should have done a check back to see on Ubuntu 2004, but I think that's higher RAM usage than usual, so I don't know exactly why. Maybe the use of more snap applications has added more ram to the system that's about what i've gotten on other gnome Is installations okay. i i have done yeah okay i should have i should have went back and checked you just can't get gnome under a thousand meg yeah it's it's really hard if you've got a low uh low resource computer you don't want to be using yeah GNOME on definitely <laughs> i mean before debian went to gnome 4x branch mm -hmm. on the vanilla I'm thinking this was, I'm thinking I was using Stretch at the time, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was like nine. I think it was before Buster. But anyways, yeah, when you installed like the vanilla XFCE or right. um, or the GNOME, they're very low in memory usage. But the GNOME in particular in this uh, in instance, I think the lowest I've ever seen was maybe like 970, 990. And that's like vanilla. Yeah. Only like one or two extensions installed. Yeah, I've I've seen it in the in the 900s only on Arch when you just literally just only install GNOME and that's it, like no other applications. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's definitely a high high memory usage um, desktop. Definitely, ease of finding help. Ubuntu has a vibrant community and endless documentation online. It's really easy to find help. <laughs> Again, if you can't find help for Ubuntu, you need help. <laughs> so it plays nice with others. Uh, Ubuntu plays very well with others, including Windows, which is nice. And that's another thing that I remember hearing. Wash your mouth out. Yeah, I know, right? I'm fired again. <laughs> that's another thing I, I remember hearing about the, the whole thing with 
Grub, they're going to disable the discovery of other operating systems on your on your system with Ubuntu. But I didn't have that. It, it, it saw Windows just fine. So I don't know exactly what that was all about. I haven't heard it for a little while, so maybe they went back on that. But anyway, it's still, it works well with Windows and any other Linux distro I tried it with, including itself. <laughs> if you install it multiple times on the same disk. <laughs> Your blasphemy will be noted. <laughs> so stability. I never had any issues with stability, uh, not even with many applications and tabs open. So there, there you go. I, I did open some tabs. I, I'm not, not 70 or more tabs, <laughs> which is probably what these people are doing, <laughs> crashing their systems. But stability is good. So gaming ease. So I had no problems with gaming. Um, I could play all the games that I, uh, that I tried without issue. Most of this has to do with Steam Proton, definitely. Proton has come a long way. It still has a long way to go, but it's come a long way. Uh, I played Horizon Zero Dawn, Sims 4, Valheim, and Jedi Fallen Order. All the games I tested played well. Um, other than Jedi Fallen Order, it still has an issue that when you pause the game and unpause it, the gameplay gets choppy after that for some reason. But as long as you don't pause the game, it's it plays very well. <laughs> so just don't pause that game. So far, they haven't fixed that. I thought they fixed it for a little bit. Because I wasn't having the issue, and then all of a sudden it came back. So I, mean, I don't know. But other games played well. I didn't get to play all of my games because I have a ton. But those those are the main. Those are like AAA games. Well, Valheim's not AAA, but that's very popular. So I like to uh, I like to always test that one to make sure that one works. So similar distros to check out. Basically all Ubuntu based distros because <laughs> they're all going to be based on you know Ubuntu. So. You're going to have a pretty similar experience with this. I don't... Is there any other Ubuntu distros that use GNOME? Or is this the only one? Is, is Ubuntu proper? That's the only one. Yeah, okay, so... Uh, Ubuntu right. used to use XFCE. Right. Yeah, so I mean, if you, if you want GNOME, that's the only way to get it with Ubuntu, at least. Yep. Unless you want to try... Go play Fedora. <laughs> yeah, well, Fedora, yeah, that's the other option. <laughs> Well, until Jeremy gets the Rust thing for Pop! OS, because Pop! OS still leans heavily on Ubuntu. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. I forgot about Pop! OS. Yeah, yeah. We are all blanking on the name Cosmic here. Yes, yeah, Cosmic. Cosmic, and Cosmic Desktop, re- yep. Yeah, they're rewrite into Rust. Right. Yeah, I, I see, I don't. I just don't view Pop! OS as GNOME anymore because they've done so much to it. It looks kind of like GNOME. But they've done so much that it's just like, it's its own thing now. <laughs> yeah, really the only similarity when you go through its workflow is just the pop shop looks a lot. Yeah, exactly. Is basically a white-labeled GNOME software. Yep. So, okay. Ratings. So I was very generous with the ratings because I personally didn't have any issues with this. That's not saying that no one else has had issues because obviously people have had issues. So anyway, that being said, um, ease of installation for a new user, 10 out of 10. Experienced user then just falls into 10 out of 10 because, you know. (laughs) Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. Didn't have any issues. And I don't think I've ever really had any issues with Ubuntu in general on any of my hardware that I know of. So that's definitely 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help, 10 out of 10. Because like Dale said, you can't swing a stick without hitting an Ubuntu 
forum. <laughs> Ease of use, I say 10 out of 10 because th there's a lot of GUI applications that people can use that don't know the command line and you have the command line that, you know, if you're experienced, you can use. So that's definitely good. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Never had an issue with that. For me, I know Moss probably has because he does a lot more distros on one drive than I do. But if you just keep it to two or three, it's, it's always good. Well, the problems I have had are specific to 22.04. Okay. They have changed some things and they have dropped Grub Customizer any support whatsoever for oh, it. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. You literally have to install something else after Ubuntu 22.04 to get Grub Customizer uh, c controlling Grub or even to get a different Grub. And let me tell you, manually configuring Grub never accomplishes what Grub Customizer does. No, and it can be very complicated depending on what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. And, and there's the, uh, the Grub syntax because if you make one little typo, Yep. Put a comma instead of something else. You may not have a booting computer. Yep. Don't mess with your boot environment. <laughs> Even though I'm sort of the uh, command line ninja or the command line hero type person, I still will lean on some graphical stuff just because you don't want to screw something yeah. up. It's like the right. reason why you have to do, was it, I remember what was some of the other things they still require you to do. Um, Five or six years ago, people were against Grub Customizer because it did throw some slop into the code. But that code has been cleaned up and it's worked great. And if you're going to disable it, you need to replace it with something else. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree. Let's go on. So, uh, yep, stability, 10 out of 10. It's hard for me to think of a time that I didn't have an Ubuntu distro work except for, you know, way back in the day. But... I have, I've, I've always had them work, so stability definitely is good. Uh, works well with games. I gave it 10 out of 10 because I always judge everything by Linux Mint because Linux Mint seems to work for just about everything, and the games work just as well on Ubuntu as they did on Linux Mint, so that's, uh, that's my baseline. So my overall rating is a 10 out of 10, and that was just my rating. <laughs> if anyone has a problem with it, email me, but... Don't email me. <laughs> so final comments. Even though I gave a great review for 2204, it definitely has had some issues, as you've heard. Although I didn't see the issues, they're still out there. Uh, I feel like anyone wouldn't notice that maybe not true, because apparently people have noticed, but I didn't, so I don't know. But I mean, as long as you're on a recently made machine or a highly specced machine maybe like mid-range and up you should be fine i think you're going to be fine i think it's a lot of people who are just so used to having things open instantly and when they don't open instantly uh it's an issue and we've kind of forgotten how hard drives used to be and how long it took some things to open up on them the first time and loading them from floppies. Uh, that's another, yep, there you go. There, the, you know, and, and over time we forget how slow things used to be. Or even CDs, you know. Yeah. USB stick, USB 2 is like 20 times faster than a CD. Right, exactly. I don't care what kind of hardware you have, if you're booting something off of a CD, it's still going to be slow. So. <laughs> yeah. I can remember coming home from school, turning on my computer 
walking down three flights of steps to the basement to get a can of uh, Coca-Cola, walk up three flights of steps, and my desktop was just then appearing. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, so I, I think I think a lot of this is just people moaning and groaning, but, you know, that's what I think. <laughs> well, okay then, let's move on to new releases. New releases this month from June 6th to July 13th, Maybox 22.06, Archman 2022.06.07, OpenSUSE 15.4, Oberun 2022.06.08, Star 4.0.0, Xtix 20.6, Dragonfly 6.2.2, Midnight BSD 2.2.0, Makulu Linux 2022-06-10 IP Fire 2.27-Core168 Nutix 22.06.1 Garuda 2206.14 Postmarket OS, which is a phone OS, 22.06 Kaizen 2.1 Euro Linux 9.0 Kodachi 8.23 Manjaro 21.3.0 Hunix 16.0.5.3 GhostBSD 22.06.18, TrueNAS Scale 22.02.2, Clonezilla 3.0.1-8, KOS 2022.06, Endeavor OS 22.6, Arco Linux 22.07.03, SmartOS 2022.0630, Univention 5.0-2, Condris OS 1.0, Nitrux 2022.0629, Open Mamba 2022.0701, Archman 2022.07.02, Pizzy 2.3, Arch 2022.07.01, Porteous 5.0, EasyOS 4.2.3, Snarl Linux 1.19, Absolute 2022.0701, Oracle 9.0, Sparky Linux 2022.07, KDE Neon 2022-0707, Blue Star 5.18.9, BSDRP 1.991, which is a BSD router project, Elive 3.8.30, Debian 11.4.0, NST 36-13232, Tails 5.2, IPFire 2.27-Core169, and Zevnet 5.12.2. Feedback. There's nothing in our email. I'm pretty sure we've answered everything in our Telegram and Discord groups. There's been no activity at all in the MeWe group. Announcements. We'll be back in a month, more or less, depending on health and schedules. I hope Tony's back with us then. For chatting with us further, you may choose to join our Telegram group, our MeWe group, or our Discord channel. Where can our listeners find you, Josh? I'm at Josh on Tech on most social networks, or email me at joshontech at gmail.com Also, you can find me on Crowbar Kernel Panic, the podcast. Dale? I'm at Dale underscore CDL on Telegram and Discord. And you can email me at Dale underscore CDL at pm.me Moss? And you can contact Tony at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com 
He is also on Hacker Public Radio as host ID 338, and his Twitter handle is at TonyH1212. And you can hear me every week on Full Circle Weekly News and Mintcast. My email is bardmoss at pm.me, and my Telegram, Discord, Twitter, and Mastodon contact info can be found in the show notes. Also, you can find me, Dale, and Dylan at itsmoss.com. Before we go, we would like to thank all those who make this project possible. Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program. Audacity, which we use for recording and editing the show. Joshua Lowe for work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting, and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Midair Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stallman for the GNU toolkits. And all those who have worked behind the scenes on free and open source slash Libre software. We shall be back next month. Thank all of you for listening. Mm-hmm.